Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 this morning, and I uh, want to talk to you about this story of this, this young man, this young boy, who has a dumb spirit, it says in the King James. We believe it was probably a spirit that um, took his ability to speak away. That's why it's called a dumb spirit. We believe that. Uh, but nonetheless, we know it was demonic. We know, know that. It was a devil that took over his body. You'll also read, as, as you're following along here in just a moment, you'll see that this, this devil, it was cruel to this young boy. It would hurt this boy. It would damage this boy. But in the process of all of this, what I believe is going on is that Jesus is teaching something. One, one of the things I don't know if I've emphasized well enough for you, but I want to make sure I bring it out very clear, clearly before we go on, is that this section of Mark, Jesus is really focused in on his disciples. And he's teaching them, here's what being a disciple means. Here's what it looks like. So there is this young boy who is hurting, and Jesus heals him. He takes the spirit away from him. But in the process of that, he's teaching the disciples something. And I hope that you'll focus in and try to listen to what is being taught to the disciples about this, because I believe I'm a disciple of Jesus. I believe if you're a follower of Jesus, you're also a disciple of Jesus. And we want to be good disciples of him, so we need to learn the lesson that he asked for us. So we're going to begin in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read this entire text for us this morning, starting in verse 14. And I'll begin in verse 14 and go all the way down to verse 29. If you're able to stand with me this morning, I would invite you to do so. I understand if you're not able to, there's no harm in that. But if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand out of reverence for the reading of the Lord's words. This is Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, and this is what it says. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, Why, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And, and wheresoever uh, he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked of his father, How long is it ago since he came unto him? And this came unto him. And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. 
When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, and come out of him, and enter no more into him. The spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead. Insomuch that the people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us to see that we need Jesus, and help us to be satisfied with nothing but Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In 1775, Virginia was holding its second convention and they were gathered together in St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. And they were gathered together, probably the, the main item on the agenda, among others, I'm sure, but the main item on the agenda was the, the, what to do about the British. There was a threat that was coming from the British. They knew there was something coming. They knew they had to do something, but they didn't know what to do about it. Those that were gathered there were torn. There were a couple different factions that had formed. Nobody really knew exactly what to do. They all were of, of a common mind that they wanted to defend their homes. They understood that, but they didn't know how to deal with this British threat. And that day there was a man that stood up and there was a preacher that was in the audience and he recounts this speech that was given and he said, man, he looked like he had fire in his eyes when he was talking. This man stood up and he says, and I'm reading a quote for you, it is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand ye here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery forbid it almighty god i know not what course others may take but as for me give me liberty or give me death you understand probably by that last line that that was patrick henry who quoted those words who, who gave that speech in that church that day he was saying it was no question in his mind. I'm not going to stand here and take what they're coming with. I'm not going to give up and give in to anything less than my liberty. That was what I'm willing to fight for. He's willing to give his life for it. And that sort of clear-eyed, uncompromising focus on the only thing that it will take to satisfy my soul is something that's missing miserably in our world today. I absolutely am appalled by the flim-flam whimsy that's going on with our, our politicians on, regardless of their political affiliation. They are absolutely have no backbone. They do not do what Patrick Henry is saying here, that listen, I don't care. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do what is right. He was uncompromising. He was clear-eyed, and he knew what it would, take, what would take to satisfy him. Certainly he's talking about a country, he's talking about the founding of our nation, the beginning of our nation, but 
It's also, I think, a good illustration of exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples, you and I, what he's teaching us in this passage. He's trying to get us across, and I'm gonna, I want to develop this thought for you, but I want to go ahead and tell you up front what we're, where we're going with this, that anything less than Jesus himself, anything less than Jesus himself, is going to leave you waiting, it's going to leave you lonely, and it's going to be leaving you in a place where you're going to need something better, something more, something additional. You're still going to be in, in lack. So if I can, forgive me to the great patriot Patrick Henry, but if I can paraphrase his statement, give me Jesus or go ahead and take me now. Give me Jesus or go ahead and take me now. Because we understand, as this passage illustrates to us, that Jesus is always right on time. Isn't he always right on time? Here's Jesus. You understand the passage just before this. If you remember what we talked about last week, Jesus had been up in a mountain. He had taken three of his disciples up there. They'd been up there, had a glorious experience, but they'd been away for a little bit anyway. I don't know if it was a couple of days or how long it was, but they were away for a little time. And here, while they were away, the disciples had gotten themselves into, can we just say they got into a predicament? They got into a kind of a situation, a sticky situation they didn't know how to get out of. And here they are, they're in this big debate with the scribes, and, and, and these scribes, uh, no offense to the disciples, because I can see myself in their faces, by the way, just understand that, but, but, but they weren't exactly the most intellectual heavyweights that ever were. I think they were good men, genuine men, men that God had used and changed and transformed, but, but they were about, well, the Acts of the Apostles talks about how Peter was, it, it looked like he was an uneducated, probably even an illiterate man, man who couldn't even read and write. He, he was probably not very educated. So here, the, the fact that these men are sitting here trying to have debates with the scribes who are, let's just call them what they are, these are educated men be, of the age. They were the ones who had the information. They knew how to do this. And, and they, I can imagine the reason there was a crowd gathered is because these scribes were whooping up on these disciples. Wouldn't it have been entertaining to see these intellectual heavyweights against these, let's just call them what they are, idiots. <laughs> That's what they are. Ain't that right, Daryl? They're idiots. They're idiots. <laughs> now, again, I, I'm trying to be, be, be kind towards the disciples because, man, these men have got to speak with Jesus, so don't misunderstand me. I'm just trying to be, be light, uh, light hand, lighthearted a little bit about that. But nonetheless, these, this crowd was gathered. The disciples are there. The scribes are there. And it says in verse 15, while Jesus is coming down from the mountain in verse 14, in verse 15, the, the, all the people, it says straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. And that, that phrase, they're greatly amazed, they weren't just like, wow, there's Jesus. They were actually excited that Jesus was there. It would be kind of like if whatever the, 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 the music group of the moment is, uh, that when all the, all the kids that really like them and they see them, they get, wow, they're here. That, that kind of an excitement. Just really thrilled that he is there. Well, the reason they're excited is, well, the disciples are excited because the healer is here. The one who can actually do what they've been trying to do and they can't do, he's here. The scribes are pretty excited because they're grateful that there's actually somebody who can kind of be on their level, kind of compete with them. And if you look at the way Jesus, he actually gave them a dressing down every time he talked to these men. So they were, they were looking forward to somebody that they can actually have a, a real conversation with. Uh, the, the man who's got a boy that he brought to be healed, he's excited because the varsity squad showed up. 
No more of this JV mess. I want the varsity squad to deal with my problem. And of course, the people were excited because they knew by his reputation that Jesus was going to do something exciting. I don't care who you are. He's going to do something. They were all happy about this. They knew what we know today because Peter wrote about this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, that he has exceeding great and precious promises. He is going to do something exciting. When Jesus shows up, these people, it says there that they ran to him and they, they greeted him, they ran to him because they knew that Jesus was showing up for their need. Jesus always shows up right on time, doesn't he? That's how he does. He just shows up when you need him. He absolutely does. He is always right on time. But he's also, when he shows up, interesting thing about Jesus, when he shows up, he's actually the only one who actually cares about you. Everybody else in this story, does, they have mixed motives at best. Mixed motives at best. The devil, he's not really talked about too much, but he's, his, his demons are involved here. The devil, you know what he wants to do? He wants to hurt. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Jesus said in John 10. That's what the devil does, and that's what he wants to do to this boy. He doesn't want to do anything but hurt this boy. Do you know what the people did? These people that are gathered, there's a big crowd gathered. It says there in verse 14, it's a multitude, a great multitude. Do you know why that crowd's there? They're there for the show. That's why they're there. They are not there to give moral support to this, this man and his young child. They are not there to, to cheer the disciples on. They're not, not there for those reasons. They're there to see the show. You've got the disciples. Again, I believe these were good men. I believe their hearts were in the right place. They were as human as the rest of us are. And you know what I think they were trying to do? They had learned a little something from the master. They learned a little something, and now they had an opportunity to try out this new power. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before where you learn a little something, and the first time you're on your own, you're going to try it out yourself, and you make the biggest mess out of it. I know I do that all the time. I, try, I, I saw him do it. I watched the YouTube video. Now I know I can do it. I know I can do it. And then I get myself all upside down and twisted, and I, I don't know what just happened. Well, this is exactly the way disciples are. They, they, they sort of, again, please, with respect, these men got a little bit full of themselves. And they said, let's try to figure this thing out. So their motives were a little twisted. And the scribes, what in the world are the scribes doing there? Well, you know what they're there for? In fact, Jesus even, he, he acknowledges it in, in when, uh, what is it, in verse 16, when he says, what question ye with them? They're questioning, and that word questioning, it's this idea of debate. They're having a debate. They're having a conversation, a, a debate about this thing. They have turned this circumstance in which there's a man who has a boy who needs help, who needs healing. This boy is hurting. This boy, is, it says there he is deaf. It says in another place as well, he's deaf and dumb. It's very likely that he can't hear anything and he can't speak. And this demon is tearing him apart from the inside. He is hurting. He needs help. But what do the scribes want to do? Well, let us have a political and theological debate about what in the world you're trying to do. Does that sound familiar, by the way, at all? There are actually people in our community, I'm just a little side note, there are people in our community who are hurting, who have really been subject to racism, who have been really subject to abuse, who have been really subject to hard, hurtful situations. And you know what's going on in our country right now? We're having a political and theological debate about all this stuff. 
may the Lord help us. There are people who need help. And you can cry all the chants you want to chant. You can paint all the streets you want to paint. You can do whatever you want to do. But until and unless you're ready to put out your hard-earned dollars and your sweat and your blood to help people, let's just, can I just say it to Matthew Tilly, if nobody else is listening, shut up. Stop it. We need to help some people. This is what's going on in this particular circumstance. We've got people who are hurting and all they care about is having a debate. Jesus is the only one who actually cares. He hears the story in verse 18. They tell him what's going on. And in verse 19, look at his answer. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Don't, don't, don't read those verses with the mind that, that Jesus is, is fussing at anybody because he's not. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weariness and a heartbrokenness to what he is saying here. He's talking to his disciples and he says, Boys, I ain't going to be here much longer. You're going to you're have to learn what I'm teaching you. I'm not going to be physically with you in the same way. We know that he's going to send his Holy Spirit, and we enjoy having his Holy Spirit with us. But he's saying, listen, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do better. <laughs> Y'all are going to have to do better. He's got compassion over this little boy. And that's why he says at the end of that, he says, bring him unto me. He says, just bring him to me. I can help him. Y'all can go on debate. Y'all go over there in the corner and keep talking. You, everybody else, y'all go watch him. Watch him talk. I'm over here. I'm going to help somebody that needs some help. And, and I think one of the things that's underneath this as well, this is my own speculation, so take this or leave it if you'd like, but I believe he's got a little anger over the devil. I think he's a little upset that their devil is messing with one of his creatures, one of his creation. You can even see it whenever Jesus starts coming near to this boy, that demon, that demon just starts taking over and starts ripping that boy to shreds. Just because Jesus is there. When Jesus starts speaking, that demon just starts saying, whoa, 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 and he starts trying to do more damage when he's there because I think he knows that Jesus ain't going to put up with his garbage. And I think that's part of what's in his words here, in his, in his tone is he's mad at the devil. Of course, the man picks up on this idea that Jesus really does care, and so he does in verse 22. He says, at the end of that verse, he says, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He says, I'll just take whatever you got, anything you got, I want whatever you got, I want some of what you got, just help me, just help me. I've been there before, some of y'all have as well, where you just, you're not making demands. You're not insisting it be one way or the other, but you just need some help. And you say, anything you got, can you help me? Just help me. And that's where this man was. And Jesus offers him real help. He says in verse 23, he says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. He says, all you got to do is put a little faith in me. Just put a little faith in me and I'll, I'll take care of you. Of course, Jesus does. But his compassion even shows up after the miracle in which that demon takes hold of that boy and just, just does every last possible thing on his way out of his, that boy's body. He does everything he can, and it seems that the people look at him and say, he looks like he's dead. Don't know if he was dead or not. It seems to suggest he maybe not was dead, but it doesn't matter. He looked like he was dead. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't matter if you are or you aren't. You feel like you are. <laughs> That's how he was. 
And Jesus reaches down and he lovingly picks a boy up. And he says, let me get you up. And when he picks him up, he doesn't just pick him up. He picks him up to live a more fruitful life. He, he helps him up and he gives him a kind of a life that that boy probably could have never dreamed of. And I know his daddy couldn't have. But you see, Jesus genuinely cares. And he also has the power to fix it. Some people that care in this world, but they just can't do anything about it. But Jesus, when he says believe, he says that's all you got to do is believe. I want you all to think about this for just a moment, the fact that his, this idea of belief, it is a super low bar. It is a super low bar. I know sometimes we think about belief and faith as if it's some magnificent thing. No, no, no. God saves the off-scouring, the, can I just put it this way, the scum of the earth. That's what he saves. And you know what he's expecting of us? Literally nothing but belief. He literally says, you know, just kind of know what I'm doing and say, yeah, I believe that. That's it. It's, it's a super low bar. In fact, he says, I, I, all I want you to do is believe. I'll take care of everything. And this, this man, in response to that, he says there in verse 24, he says, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. He even says there, look at what he, how he says it. it, says that the father of the child cried out and said with tears, here's a man weeping. Everything in him wants to believe, but everything in him knows he doesn't believe hard enough. Your faith is never going to be strong enough. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't need strong faith. We need faith in a strong Jesus. That's the distinction. You need not stronger faith. You need a strong Jesus. And put your faith in him. Every little ounce that you got, you go ahead and put it in him. And he'll take care of the rest. Because Jesus is enough, even if your faith isn't enough. You know what Jesus does? You see it in this story. Jesus makes hell tremble. Hell. That, that tormenting place the demons who are smart and strong and wily, Jesus makes them shake in their boots. Jesus makes the dead live again. He makes the dead live more fully, give them a life that they could have never imagined. He gives this man who I imagine probably didn't have any hope, and by this point in the story, sort of the middle of the story, probably had no hope of really getting his son healed, just wanted a little bit of... just. Could you at least care about me a little bit? That's what he's saying at that one point. He gives that man, a hopeless man, he gives him hope. He makes the disciples who, man, I can identify with them. These men who are absolutely inept and useless on every other level. He makes them useful. By the way, later on, these men become men who stand before thousands of people and preach the gospel and thousands of people get saved. These become men that God uses to write the scriptures. These become men who do amazing things, actually able to walk to their own death. It's not because the objects of his fate, or rather of his transformation, not because the objects of Christ's transformation are so spectacular. He does make them spectacular. But what he transforms is not spectacular. But Jesus is always enough. He's always enough. Well, if you're listening to what I've said, maybe you're not as critical as I am, but when I, preparing, when I was preparing this sermon, I got to this point in the sermon, I was like, well, it's pretty good. I like that. It's good. Sounds good. But I've heard it before. It's nothing new. I want to give the people something new. I've heard that before. I, I, know, I know Jesus cares. 
I know Jesus can do everything. I, I, I know that he's there when I need him. I know these things. And by the way, I'm not going to ask you to, to vote or show your hands, but you know this stuff. I imagine you do. I'd be surprised if there was anybody who said, wow, I never knew that before. Sometimes it's good to be reminded. I understand that. But I've heard all that before, haven't you? So why is it that my problems aren't fixed? Why is it that I'm still rolling in the same muck and mire? Why is it that I'm still upset over that same problem that has been upsetting me for years? Why am I still worrying over the things that I don't have or, don't, or think I need? Why is that sin still besetting me? Well, I think the reason is the same thing that the, the disciples ask in verse 28. Why could not we cast him out? What's, what's going on here, Jesus? It doesn't make sense. They're at the point where I think we are, which is we, are, we understand we're powerless, we understand we're defeated, we've tried and tried and tried and nothing seems to work. We are guilty of the same thing that the disciples are guilty of, that is being satisfied with half measures. We're satisfied going through the motions of mimicking the work of God, but never actually having God do a work in our lives. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy when he writes that having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, he says in that passage, from such turn away. That's something to be avoided. What is Jesus' solution? Look in verse 29. He says, well, the reason they couldn't do it, he said, because in verse 29, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. It's fixed by prayer and fasting. It's fixed by prayer. Y'all know what prayer is. You can say all kinds of stuff in prayer, but you know what the essence of prayer is? You're asking God for something. You're talking to the Lord and you're asking him. I've got this problem. I've got this sin. I've got this issue. I've got this situation. I've got this relationship. I, whatever that thing is that you're sitting there saying, I can't fix it. I need it fixed, God. You're going to call to him and say, God, could you fix this? That's what you're doing with prayer. Now there's this fasting piece. I don't like fasting. We tried it a couple weeks ago. I didn't care for it too much. I like to eat. By the way, as a side note, y'all will hear that Wednesday night, y'all notice I had that suit on that wouldn't, it wouldn't button. I figured out how to fix that. It's buy a new suit. And these suits button real nice. You can get fat as you want to, and it's still going to button. You keep getting big old suits. But anyhow, I'm going way off track. The point is, <laughs> I done lost you now. Uh, the whole point is that we need to add to our prayer fasting. What is fasting? Well, of course, we know it's not eating. But the Old Testament talks about fasting as afflicting ourselves, afflicting our souls. You know what that means? It's the essence of it is to remind yourself that the same thing, your body's only going to be satisfied with real nutrition, real food. You need to remind yourself that there's only one hope of satisfaction. That's what the fasting is for, is to afflict your body, to put in your physical body that feeling that there's, only, there's something missing that can only be satisfied one way, and you're fasting to remind your soul there's something missing that can only be satisfied one way, and that is with a answer from God 
I think in this modern era that we live in, we have got to be real quick. We've got to get real quick to that place where we acknowledge the horror and the helplessness and the defeat of our soul. None of that's something we want to do. We're told, oh, you're so good. Get self-esteem. Feel better about yourself. No, no, I think sometimes it's real good to just sit with your mess and realize you're in a pickle and you need somebody to fix the problem. But here's the other problem, is the minute we get there, this is what our world is, it's tailor-made to do this, to distract us. You feel bad right now? Well, just look at your phone a little bit, that feeling will go away. You feel bad right now? Well, just go eat something somewhere, you'll feel better. You feel bad right now? Well, we'll just go, go talk to somebody on the telephone, you'll feel a little bit better. There's all kinds of distractions, there's a million things. At my house, let me tell you, there's a million things to distract you. There's a kid in every corner. There, there's a television on every wall. There's a phone in every room. There's stuff to do. I could go out to the yard. I could, I've, got a, I've got a mountain of mulch the size of, an, size of an elephant that I've got to spread. So let me tell you, that's got, that is going, that's going to distract you. The point is, we've got stuff to do all over the place, don't we? We've got stuff. But the thing is, we've got to stop being satisfied with those half measures. We run to the worldly remedies every time we get a chance. Whether it's food, and I know food because that's something I tend to run to whenever I'm, when I'm a little disturbed. Man, I tell you what, big old bowl of ice cream make you feel better every time. Do you know what that'll do? It won't deal with the problem. It'll make you feel better. Man, some good old moose tracks. Wendy got me some moose tracks ice cream. Been eating on that. She's been helping me sin. You eat, that, you eat that stuff, and man, for about, about 20, 30, 30 minutes, if you take your time, man, that feel good. Problem's still there. Never dealt with anything. Now you got a new problem. Suits won't button. But we look at our food, we look to drink, we look to entertainment, we even look to possessions. Our possessions are now possessing us. We look to experiences, let me go on vacation, let me get out of town, let me go do whatever I can do. But does that really ever give you security? We believe in every worldly hope. We look to our friends and thank God for good friends, but let me tell you, those friends, they care for you, don't want to say that they don't care for you, but when it comes down to it, there's only one who really, really, really cares for you. We look to the politicians to fix our problems. We look to our money to solve our problems. Those things don't care for you. We lean on every worldly vice. If we could only get better education, if we could only get a better government, I think some of us even look to religion. I'm so grateful. Let me, let me make sure I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm so grateful that y'all come Sunday after Sunday. I'm looking out at a crowd of people that I know. I know y'all. I can say that now. I'm almost three years here. I, I, start, I know y'all now. I know all about you. No, I don't know. No, I know y'all, and I'm grateful you're here. But one thing that worries me is that some of you come through those doors and sit in those pews, and you are coming not to meet the Creator, but you are coming because this religious edifice makes you feel like, yep, I'm doing my duty. Check in the box. I'm feeling good. But it can't really fix anything. I'm grateful for this building. It's a beautiful sanctuary. I'm grateful for these grounds. I'm grateful for everything the Lord's done for us here. But this building, this land, this 
even these people individually by themselves, they cannot fix you. Do you know the only hope that you have? It is Jesus who will be there for you. You need to run to him. It is Jesus who cares for you. You need to believe in him. It is Jesus who can and will and has fixed it for you. You need to lean on him. I think some of us just need to stop a minute when we get to that point. Go ahead and, and, and do like the prodigal son and come to yourself. Man, look at the mess that I'm in. And go ahead and sit there for a minute and say, you know what? I need to go ahead and lay a hold of the feet of Jesus. Grab a hold of the hem of his garment. I need to just get as a little bit of something of him and beg for his presence. I, I think some of us feel like what we're missing is, is we need a little more of this or a little more of that. But what we're really missing is the presence of God in our lives. We need to beg for his compassion. You want somebody to love you. You want somebody to like you. Why don't you say, Lord, please help me any way you can, and the Lord will show you how much he really loves you. We need to beg for his power instead of trying to do it ourselves and be satisfied with nothing less than Jesus. Give me Jesus or just go on and take me. Give me Jesus or give me death. Because without Jesus, the wages of sin are indeed death. Give me Jesus, or go on and take me. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at McConnellRoadBaptist.com dot o-r-g